0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's episode. We've got a very special conversation teed up. We've got a couple of business leaders, podcasters, authors, entrepreneurs, and more with us right here talking on a variety of topics to include the core topic of really tech for good and beyond. So stay tuned as we dive into a really fun, intriguing, and informational conversation. I want to welcome in the stars of our show here today. We have Theodora Lau and Bradley Lamer co authors of the book The Great Read, the best selling top of the charts read beyond good how technology is leading a purpose driven business. Theo Bradley, how are we doing?
1: Very good. Thank you for having us.
2: Thanks, Scott. Good to talk with you.
0: You bet. Bradley Theo, we love repeat guests. And of course, we're We're friends, but we're also social friends. I'll tell you, I love your uh, Twitter feed in particular, a lot of great projects and thought leadership you put out there. And, you know, last time you're with us, we talked a lot about Bradley Limer and this big project that was in the works. Uh, And of course, we had the remark pre-show, Theo and Bradley. I'm in love with Bradley's voice. Uh, I've got commercials and (laughs) movie introductions. Bradley, we're going to sign you up for.
2: I think you're going to have to be my agent going forward. Uh, if you could represent both of us, I think we'd probably be better off. Let's go.
0: Well, we had uh, Theo. Great to see you again, and Bradley. We'll, we'll we'll talk business maybe after today's show. But Theo, let's start with you. I, I had such a great time. You know, that's been probably, I bet, four months ago. Do you think? It's been, it's been a been
1: few about, months, yeah. Yeah,
0: or or maybe forty ventures or projects ago for Theo. Ton of passion. I'm convinced you've got clones with everything you've got cooking, huh?
1: I might have a little robots running around. I never know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, so I thought we'd start today's episode a little bit different, right? Rather than do a, a, a rerun of our first conversation with Theo, I, I wanted to kind of reinvent our conversation a bit. So I've got, I'm going to drag out of the closet. what well, something we call the lightning round around here, here at supply chain. Now, are y'all game? Perfect. Okay alright We're going to get to the heavy-hitting stuff on the front end here, such as food. So I want to start with you, Theo. What is your best meal, or at least one of the best meals you've ever had, and why?
1: Best meal in a restaurant called Maseria. Discovered it six years ago when it first opened. Beautiful-tasting restaurant. Small joint in um, the heart of D.C., and that's been our family's favorite ever since then.
0: Ooh, love it. Give, what's one dish that that your family enjoys most there?
1: Ooh, I don't know. Is it tasting? So they they do everything all over the place. And um, pasta, Ooh. their pasta dishes are amazing. Yes,
0: man. Just with you saying that, I think I gained seven pounds because I love pasta. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bradley, same question for you. What's one of your favorite all time meals and why? You know, I'm just going
2: to I'm going to go back like almost 30 years because the first time I ever went to a place that was like a Michelin restaurant, I, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. My parents didn't take us out to this kind of place. And mm-hmm. when I was um maybe my last year at Cal, I went to a place with a girl that I was dating that I thought for sure I was going to end up marrying this girl. But we went down to LA, which is probably why I have a love hate thing with LA. Uh, and we went to this, this Michelin restaurant. And it was like the first time I'd ever seen synchronized like serving and like little tiny like plates that just had amazing looking food on it. And that started this lifelong sort of love affair with food and going to fantastic restaurants around the world. So that kicked it off, and uh, you know the rest is history.
0: The rest is history. Love it. In L.A., you're not talking Lower Alabama, right?
2: Nope, no, no, <laughs> no. But you know, Lower Alabama. Haven't been there. Lovely place.
0: It is. Hey, some of the best uh, barbecue uh, for sure. Okay, from food, I want to talk about resources now. Right? We're all we all produce a variety of content. Uh, we're going to talk more about uh, this incredible book here momentarily. But let's talk about other folks, other content, whether it's news or commentary or analysis or just for fun. Theo, what's one thing that, that's on your either daily or weekly docket?
1: I read papers every day. So I'm probably one of the few people weirdo that that still read papers. I do, whilst, I do them around Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, New York Times, and uh, Washington Post every single day.
0: Wow, cover to cover.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing, right? I think probably all of us would agree. News is news, and news are different and they're reported differently depends on the person who's writing about it. And so you get different perspectives left, right, middle. And you know, Financial Times is, is European focused. And so it's good to have different pr- perspectives.
0: Uh, can't agree more. Wonderful. I'm jealous. I thought I was doing something reading a couple newspapers a week. <laughs> I got to step up my game, Theo. Um, all right. So, same question for you, Bradley. What's 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 on your daily or weekly docket?
2: I probably read four or five hours a day, at least. And uh, one of the things that though, I read when I read slow um, beyond like maybe some books, especially, you know, especially fiction books, when I read them slow is um, Sunday, New York times. Like since I was like in high school, I would read for two or three hours of Sunday, New York times. And, uh, you know, I grew up delivering papers and I tell you, uh, I can, I could appreciate a big, thick Sunday paper and uh, I'll devour it like a good meal.
0: <laughs> I love that. Well, you know, speaking of, of a good newspapers, the New York times and the wall street journal, their obituaries not to be morbid, but the storytelling and the research that goes into the ones they lead with, you know, weekly or day or even daily, you can learn a ton. And it's so much more than some of your, your typical obituaries. I've learned a ton just by focusing on that aspect of the newspaper uh, each week on a much lighter note, much, much lighter note, you know, as we were talking pre-show for my family on the outskirts of Atlanta, we like to venture over to Monroe, Georgia and take in the, the weekly farmer's market, especially on Saturday mornings, right? That's that is religious for us. It's therapeutic. And it's a big part of our routine. Kids aren't crazy about it. Most of the time, even though they get lemonade and, and, Treats and stuff, but hey, it is what it is. Theo, for you, what's a habit that's therapy for you as well? Whether it's daily, weekly, or whatever. Used to be, <laughs> or it used to be. Or...
1: <laughs> I do see your. um, I do see a farmer's market. pictures every weekend, and I get jealous. Before COVID hits our uh, weekly weekend routine was brunch. We always go into town for brunch. Um, in downtown. Um, mm. And uh, religiously, every weekend at least one, one brunch, if not two, the pasty and a half. I don't know. We let yeah. the kids make breakfast. That's oh. been our habits, which is which is great unto itself because they love to eat out, and now they just love to cook. The challenge is who does the cleaning.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. That's like an age old challenge too, right? Yes. Yeah my dear wife, Amanda, won't let me cook because of of that that important little <laughs> afterthought.
1: Are you sure you're not doing it on purpose though, Scott?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I, don't, I don't understand Like you know men should
2: be doing as many dishes as everybody else.
0: You're right, Bradley. You're right. And Amanda, if you hear, hear me, I agree with Bradley wholeheartedly. <laughs> but you know, she's so she's so much more of a culinary artist than I am. So Bradley, same question. So I love how Theo encourages her children to experiment and get creative and and develop their culinary skills. What about you? What, what's, what's daily or weekly uh, therapeutic activities in your, in your, uh, in yeah, your
2: I, I will say I actually love to cook and, and I've like, you know, ever since I went to Cal and like learned how to cook different types of meals from around the world, I've always loved to cook. So I, I do like that, but I would say during the pandemic, you know, I have had, even though I've had probably seven, eight years now working from home more time to be able to work on myself. And so I probably work out an hour or two a day And so I'm doing, you know, five to seven to 10 miles of running a day. And I have a rower and all this stuff. And that's my time. And with the kids, you know, they take every other minute of every time. Uh, So between that and the book and and work, you know, I tell you, you got to take care of yourself too. You sure do. I'm trying
1: to add up your hours, Brad. So two hours rolling and running and then four hours reading. Wait, do you sleep?
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, not, not too much sleep. And and like you, I, I could say that, uh, you know, you have to stretch to get more than those 24 hours a day.
1: I right. am working to get back into running. I don't know how I used to do half. I can't do it anymore.
0: <laughs> oh, there's not so, enough hours in a day. There, there really is. Nope. But somehow we find a way. And and Bradley, I agree. I think it's important. And and Theo, I want to say you and I touched on this in your first episode with us, you are taking care of yourself. It's tough to help others if we don't take of our, you know, if if we don't take care of ourselves first, in some way, shape, or form. Okay. So I appreciate both of y'all's indulging me with the, with the not so lightning round. (laughs) I want to, I want to move to your professional journeys. You know, Theo, we had a lot of fun talking about your background and, and your professional journey last time for some of our listeners that maybe hadn't caught that, that episode recently. Let's start with you. Give us a refresher. Give us a couple of, um, uh, you know, previous roles that really helped shape your worldview.
1: Yes, I'll make it brief. So I was an accidental engineer, did it out of spite. Worked great, wonderful, proved it, moved on. (laughs) Spent most of my life actually in telecom, in various aspects of telecom, including with a couple of clients in Georgia, where you are, Scott. And uh, started with Landline. I don't know who still uses Landline, but we had those. Um, And then Selak and Wireless and High Speed, all of that. And then kits Happened. So took a turn and um, moved on and did a couple of startups after that, went on to nonprofits, and then the rest was history. That was where I met Bradley when I was working in nonprofit, looking at uh, financial innovation for older adults.
0: I love that. And, we, and we, we did talk about that last time. And, you know, one interesting thing, you know, this is obviously supply chain now, and, and we most of our episodes are really centered on supply chain, but I've always found it to be, in, you know, the whole fintech space. And and how it's overlapping more and more with global supply chain. I find that fascinating. So I think this would be uh, a really neat, if not creative, episode here at Supply Chain Now. Bradley, same question for you. Give us, you know, so you're new to our listeners. Yeah. Let's walk through your professional journey a little bit, same way.
2: Yeah. Well, I've been in financial services almost my entire career. You know, I started out seven, eight years doing the data side, working with banks and sort of leveraging their data to do marketing efforts around insurance and other products, and. You know, I I feel bad about that early part of my career because I probably killed about a billion trees with the direct mail that we did. (laughs) So uh, outside of that, I then I dove into working in financial institutions themselves, um, first in a credit union and ran marketing and technology for them for many, many years. And then a community bank, which was a hundred year old bank here in the Bay Area and um, learned an awful lot between those two institutions about what it means to serve and what it means to be part of that community. Then I you know, started getting into working with startups across that time and into fintech before it was fintech and uh, ended up leading innovation at Banco Santander, which is this monstrous global entity in 20 different regions with 160 million customers. And wow, there's a lot to, to play with and a lot of fun. And, and then, you know, through that process, um, met Theo and the rest is history in terms of, you know, the book and what we do and all the work and all the good we're trying to do in, in the ecosystem. So that's me in a nutshell. Okay, Rocky
1: to the dark side. <laughs> don't call him a banker, Scott.
0: <laughs> no, no, I, I, yeah, I, I don't I, think
2: anybody, anybody wants to be called a banker. necessarily. <laughs> well,
0: so it's, it's, it's uh, this would be interesting. So Theo, you're in DC, right? Bradley, you're in San Francisco, and I'm in Atlanta. And you know, as you, both y'all probably know a lot better than I do. The Atlanta area, I think its nickname is FinTech Alley, if I've got that right, because think of all the trends.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, and, and Visa just announced that they're coming down with a lot more people, and you know it's always been a fintech hub for FIS and Fiserv and, FIS and so many mm. others. Mm.
0: Mm. Very interesting. Okay, so I want to better understand, and I bet our listeners will find this interesting. I mean, y'all, so y'all collaborate on more than just the book. And again, the book we're referencing today, and we're going to talk more about here momentarily, is beyond uh, beyond good. How technology is leading a purpose driven business revolution. How did y'all meet? <laughs>
1: We, let me go back in history. So there's We need this a whiteboard. <laughs> we need a whiteboard. So there's this little Theo in this giant monstrous nonprofit trying to figure out, okay, why, what is this fintech thing? First of all, what is fintech? And how can we use it for older people? There's so much buzz. And so what did I do? I went and Google fintech. And then I went on to social media- and search for FinTech. And there came something called FinTech Mafia. Okay, I remember that? And um, so a couple of names popped up. One of the first one was Bradley Limer. Okay, don't know who he is. Sent him a LinkedIn email, he actually responded. That was quite interesting. Make a long story short, met a bunch of people in my first Finnovate, which Brett would call the FinTech of Disneyland. Okay. <laughs> or and uh disneyland Disneyland right (laughs) see that's why i love him anyway so i was there like you know this this little person who does not know anyone and everyone seemed to know everyone and this person just dashed across in front of me he was walking he was in a hurry he's always in a hurry going somewhere and i'm like oh hey brad and he stopped and looked at me he's like who are you and I held up my lanyard, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm Theo, we traded some correspondence. And his first thing he asked me, Brett, I don't know if you still remember, are you drinking from the firehose or something?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and if you were at Finnovate or anything else like that, or, you know, at those early days, that's what it was. It was like <laughs> drinking the firehose of information. And uh, just to see, you know, dozens and dozens of startups in those earlier days. And what mm-hmm. has become of it, it's now like the hottest part of venture capital globally. Is it, is.
1: Yep. it is amazing. Now, Brad, I don't know if I should tell Scott about like what happened afterwards. So remember the coffee meeting?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could you could <laughs> go ahead and tell that story. Other sure <laughs> listeners will be <laughs> appreciative of it.
1: I think Scott would like it. So fate would have turned out completely different. So in you know, we met for coffee afterwards and, um, at that time, it was because I was looking for banks to partner with mm. us on a hackathon. We're just, you know, looking, hey, you know, anyone, you know, would want to be part of this. Now, Mr. Limer is used to talking to people who asked him for money because, you know, banks, people go to him for money. And so I met him and before I even opened my mouth and start talking about what why I wanted to do a hackathon for fintech solutions for older adults his first reaction was I can't sponsor you mm. that was your second strike my friend because <laughs> I wasn't looking for money we had funding we were perfectly fine we were like a billion dollar Wow,
0: <laughs> but
1: we did not need the yeah, funding I just needed someone non-profit. to work with me but yes, that was Mr. Lima in a nutshell, but that's yes, how we but, met. But,
2: but let's, you know, let's, let's <laughs> take it from there. Um, you know, in terms of working together and in terms of, you know, helping you with hackathons and everything else, I was there. So you, I just, uh, <clears throat> I actually personally <throat> will always do more than what the brand I'm, um, you know, associated with at any given you time. You were not there on the
1: first hackathon, it. you were there on the second one.
2: But I, but <laughs> I I came and I helped as much as I could. Not and the I would say, one. but, but nope, you're not but the first
1: you, one. <laughs> okay, maybe
2: not the first one because, I, of course, I couldn't sponsor. Um, but in terms, of, in, in terms of the influence from that first meeting and what she took from um, her experience at ARP and what that has changed in my mindset about that demographic and how we serve people, that influence has continued for years. And so, you know, regardless of how that started, I think the impact
0: will continue uh, for mind. a long, long time. Yeah, that. Excellent point. I got, I got two, one follow-up question and then one follow-up comment. Love for y'all to speak to before we start talking about Eureka Moments. First off, Theo, you mentioned a hackathon and there may be a, a portion of our listening audience that are new to that, uh, what that is. Can you briefly describe it?
1: Yeah. So we did two actually. It was loads of fun. The first one we did it in New York. And the whole idea is we wanted to get people to start thinking about why it is important to innovate for older adults, right? It's because all of us in you know who are involved in one shape or form with innovation, you have your typical bias of people who will be doing it and people you will be doing it for, right? right? And people don't normally think about you know, people that are older than 50 that need a digital solution for anything. And so that was the first um, idea of we wanted to get people to start thinking about it and change their mindsets. And then the second one is, you know, it's the best way to get new ideas is to reach into the community. Right, reaching to people that are grandchildren, people that are adult children, you know, working with their parents and and whatnot, or people that are going through the journey itself. So the best that was, was, um, our idea was um, to partner with as many communities as possible to see what challenges they're facing, right? And how they think would be the best way to solve it. And we did it in a way that we wanted to bring in banks because at the end of the day, guess what? as much as FinTech solutions are, as many FinTech solutions are out there, a lot of us still bank with the Main Street Bank, right? Mm-hmm. And we also wanted to change the mindset of people that are working in traditional financial services to understand that there is a market to be had to innovate for older adults, because it's um, it's a market opportunity of trillions of dollars. We're all living longer and we still need services.
0: Right, right. Mm-hmm. I, I think based on some of what you shared there, I think it's some great uh, takeaways for our uh, supply chain, our global supply chain practitioners listening, going outside of your typical regular channels for ideas, and and and, and
2: go ahead, Bradley. Just adding in there, you know, yeah. the, the idea of a supply chain related hackathon. When you think about, you know, some of the companies we invested uh, in at at Santander, you know, we spent a lot of time on working through digitizing letters of credit and just different ways that the supply chain could be more optimized. Mm. And in working with our small businesses and our large providers, you know, the Cargill's of the world, the big providers in the supply chain, we learned that in doing something like a hackathon, there are going to be smaller startups working on pieces that could improve the entire system of the way that people get paid, things get shipped. You know how things like uh, blockchain technology and other things can prove authenticity across the supply chain, et cetera, et cetera. And so you never know, you know, in in working with smaller companies, what's going to be sort of come out of that. And right. I think between the two of us, working within the brands that we've associated with, and also you know working with clients along the side, there's always something that can be discerned from it.
0: Well, well put. And I, on a related note, uh you mentioned earlier, Bradley. Uh, how fintechs one of the hottest spaces when it comes to uh, venture capital and um, entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurialism and whatnot. It also happens to coincide at a time when when the procurement profession has got a seat at the table, perhaps unlike ever before. It's really a fascinating time, and I think where those things kind of overlap and, and are woven in with each other, I think there's that's where there's a ton of lessons to be learned and takeaways that are relevant in global business, just as much as relevant in global supply chain. Okay. So uh, we're we were about to, to, uh, uh, FinTech geek or supply chain geek out there. And I'm going to pull us back from the edge for a second. Cause I want to, um, know one of my favorite things from Theo's last appearance with us, we talked pre-show about it was her, one of her Eureka moments she shared. And I can't, I can't remember where the line is from a song, uh, the line that the kids are Okay. That was one of the main things she shared, you know, during this pandemic, as we were fear, as we all are fearful about how it impacts our kids, right? And continue to be, you know, at least from where I sit, anxious about that. You know, that was one of Theo's your, your lessons learned. The kids are okay and they're navigating well. And they're, and they're they're in some cases, they're thriving despite all the challenges. And that's a beautiful thing. But starting with you, Theo, I can't wait to hear your latest Eureka moment that you've had. Uh so. Sure. what what else has hit you like a ton of bricks here lately?
1: I need sleep. <laughs> 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 but but and in in know in, all, in all honesty, I think the last time when when we both chat, that was when the kids were still at home, right. uh, virtual virtual classes, and um, as of a few weeks ago, they finally are back in school, and it's 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 it bittersweet moment because. A they finally get to meet their friends face to face, which I think they really need, right? Because humans are social animals and we need each other. And even though you know the three of us are talking and connecting through the screens, it's not the same. Um, so 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 there's that. But I, I think finally it's it's to the point where I would like to say we're slowly adjusting to how life is or likely will be for a while. And, um, so now I realized I need to take care of myself. So I need to sleep. (laughs) Sorry. It's not like this, this like earth shattering moment or, or smart thoughts that I could share, but it's literally what I feel right now is
0: I can finally breathe. I think it's really important. I think, I think, and kind of expounding a bit, you know, mental health, the need to invest in ourselves and need to be physically and, you know, uh, strong and, and mentally strong and, and so that we can, you know, parent and so we can lead businesses and startups and, and all these great initiatives during these uh, these crazy times. So I, I appreciate you sharing that, uh, Theo. And Bradley, I'll come to you next. What's been a eureka moment for you?
2: No, I think, you know, the last 18, 19 months uh, have proven out that people are pretty resilient. Uh, we've been through, you know, globally an awful lot uh, with this pandemic, and I think it's it's proven to people that people can be very productive at home. Those that are fortunate to be able to be working from home, and I, I hope that there's a little bit more empathy that people have for those that aren't able to work from home. It's a privilege to be able to work, you know, from the comfort of your home when so many people can't. And you know, there's so much. Economic divide that we confront every single day within this industry, and if we aren't building solutions to help people um, be more resilient financially, then what are we doing? You know, what, why do we have a financial services industry unless we're serving the communities and the, every person within the community that we have an opportunity to serve? So there's an awful lot, I think, of learnings, but uh, we're an awful, awful resilient uh, species of uh, human a- humanity here. So uh, mm. lots, lots that we can improve upon, but. Um, you know,
0: we'll, we'll be we'll be okay. Well, well said. And and it is interesting how the definition the prevailing definition of luxury has continued to change because you're right, working from home and being able, being able to still make a similar living, you know, without any of those trade offs, it, it certainly is a luxury. So well said there, Bradley. Okay, so Theo and Bradley, now that we've kind of set the table, you know, we've talked about uh, some of the, the characters we have here. We've talked about some of the professional journeys and the context there, uh, and we've co- of course we've kind of brought it current with uh, some some recent lessons learned. I want to dive in to this book. This book that is, I think it's number two on my queue uh, of what I'm reading next. And I want to start with how it originated. And Theo, I'll start with you. How did it originate? And and proverbially, what what was your why, you and Bradley's why for doing it?
1: (laughs) We like to tell people that we like to torture ourselves, but um, it was a serendipity moment, I'd say. A publisher reached out from the UK, and um, this was 2019, pre-pandemic. We all met in London in December, and we decided on the framework of the book, because we've been, both of us, as Bradley had told you pre-show, we've been writing quite a bit for, for the last few years. And, you know, and, and on a very, very regular basis. And so the thought was, well, how about we continue that on, but, you know, have it in the shape of, of a book and talk about some of the ideas and extend it through um, stories around the world. One of the things that resonated with both of us a lot when we talked about privilege earlier is it's a privilege to have a voice. It is a privilege to have a platform to be able to do what we do, and to have the opportunity to talk to so many people around the world and listen to their stories is a privilege unto itself, which is not something that everyone has. And so, we wanted to use the platform that we have, be it a written medium or be it podcast and what have you, to bring their stories out so we can all learn from each other. So that was one of the foundational bases of why we wanted to write the book, and. Um, So made a long story short, we started writing end of 2018, early 2020, before the pandemic hit. And at that time, our worries was, how would we be able to reach out to everyone we wanted to include in the book, to have all the voices included in the book, and yet be able to keep up with all of our travel demands and speaking engagements and all of that. Well, I guess we all knew what happened after. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, so really quick, Theo, because some of what you shared there uh, also we talked about in your first appearance and, and clearly you line with Bradley where you want especially those voices that aren't regularly heard, you want to spotlight that and spotlight their POV or their point of view and their expertise and and what they're thinking that, that, that I love that about y'all's approach here Thank Theo. You.
1: It's um that was actually how we founded the company, right It's that. There's talent everywhere. Throughout both of our corporate lives, we keep running into amazing people. I kept running into amazing founders and they just could not get access to the network. They could not get access to the banks. They could not get access to capital because of where they are, because of who they are, because of where they went to Mm. school or not went to school. And that's not right, right? You know, To be able to meet how our world will be in the future, Especially given all of the challenges that we have, we need all the ideas that we can get from different corners of the world because there's nothing better than lived experiences, right? People that are from demographics that we want to create solution for is not our job to be prescriptive of what they need, but it is our job to listen to them and then help them and get those ideas on the table.
0: Mm. Beautifully said. And and folks, uh, for my fellow supply chain related founders and entrepreneurs, that's got hopefully it's singing in your ears because uh, there's opportunity for all. Thanks to leaders like these two here. Um, and we got more work to do, for sure, as, as I'm sure they can attest to. But um, I love that this this dynamic that's growing in entrepreneurial circles across the globe right now. Bradley, what else would you add when it comes to. Um, you know the book's origin and your wife for doing it and whatnot.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the the connections that that Theo um, had for me was with the midyear um, and Flourish Ventures is what they're called now, and we did a report that came out um, probably six eight months before we started writing the book that really highlighted good business models within fintech and financial services globally, and these were companies that uh, midyear Network. And flourish uh, had invested in a mid-year person who founded eBay, and so you know they they are really looking at how you could improve financial inclusion. And in meeting some of the companies that they highlighted and sitting on stage at places like Money 2020 to highlight their stories, really had an impact in the way that I think we both felt about you know who a founder should be and why we need more representation. You know than just your typical white male young founder that looks like Zuckerberg, mm. uh, because the average entrepreneur in Fintech is forty two years old, has worked in financial services and actually sees where the holes are. And there's a lot of holes inside banking that banks still miss to this day. Mm. And so to me, you know the the book and and what we we worked on within it was to point out a lot of those sort of missing opportunities not just with who we serve, but just the way we serve people and, and the end result. Uh, and so our, our feedback thus far has been really, really positive about people kind of rethinking the way that they think about this business. I
0: love that. So you're both kind of speaking to some degree of, of to, to some degree of my next question that, that is why should folks sit down and read it? And now I'm partial already because Theo told me to, I'm kidding, uh, but I really, you know, when you follow folks on social media and see thought leadership, you see what they point out and you get a sense of who they are and and what they're passionate about. It was an easy decision for me, right. To add it to my collection, my reading rotation, but Theo beyond what y'all have already shared, why should, why should folks pick up the book and give it a read?
1: Because we are all part of the world today and our kids and the next generations are going to be a part of the world in the future. So, You know, given what we have collectively learned in the last year and a half, if that did not prompt us to look for ways to change, what would?
0: Well said. Uh, Bradley, how would you, what would be your... Well, yeah. Yeah. So for, for your listeners, um, there's
2: actually a section on, on supply hey, chain and, and, and there's, there's seriously like a lot of examples about good supply chains and, and how companies can actually be part of beyond good. And so we, we talk about it in the context of system leadership and how, you know, leaders at the largest to the smallest corporations have choices. They have choices in who they use as suppliers. They have choices in the way that their supply chain has an impact, you know, from a an ESG sort of standpoint in terms of looking at the environmental and social impact of what they do and who they work with. And if more people at the you know heads of corporations, regardless of size, think about their supply chain, even if they don't think about it in terms of a manufacturer supply chain, they think about goods and services from the employees to their partners, to their customers a little bit differently. And we think about how that all works together in the bigger, broader picture. I think you know, that is a lesson that carries across not just supply chain networks, but across every single business model that
0: exists. I'm with you. And I love that. So folks, there's lots of supply chain in this book. You, you got to check it out. And again, going back to our earlier elements, um, supply chain financial executives are the folks that have a lot of juice, and a lot of power. And there's also lots of opportunity there. So uh, whether you're Global supply chain or global business, y'all check it out. And I love the um, I love the the title alone because good isn't enough in these days, right? It makes me think, uh, when I saw first saw the title, it made me think of one of my first favorite business books, which is uh Good to Great, right? By Jim Collins, uh, which I love kind of how how he uh and maybe he's got some colors, I don't know, how they how they approach that as business cases and examples and stories. So I'm looking forward to giving this a read as well. So again, beyond good how technology is leading a purpose driven business revolution and i would just add supply chain and global supply chain leadership and know-how and action is what's going to help address some of the leading challenges and issues of our time and that that that's really cool we talked about procurement having seat at the table for perhaps the most the, ever you know supply chain also there's a reason why we're seeing chief supply chain officers crop up left and right and as Greg White always says, and I got to get y'all connected to Greg, we'd have a really fun conversation. Uh, now that we've got to see the table. That's good news. But the bad news is, we got to act like it. we got to take action, right? Um, okay, so plenty, no shortage of ammunition in terms of why to pick up the book. Let's Theo, let's talk about your favorite part of the book.
1: Ooh, too many. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that one favorite thing I like the most about the book is we were able to squeeze in a lot of quotes from a lot of founders and entrepreneurs around the world. That that was was really important to us. So important that we actually cut off 10,000 words and Brad is still crying. Um, But we were told we had too many words and too many pages. And so we decided to cut off our words so that we could keep Mm. others words in there because that is one important bit of, of why we wanted to do it, right? Like I said, in the first place, we want to include voices of others in what we do. And so if you go through the book, you'll see lots of quotes from, you know, founders of various ages, from different demographics, from various parts of the world doing different things. And we want to get them in there. So that's my favorite part.
0: I love that. And uh, that resonates with me as, as being a, you know, I'm talking all the time too much. Right. And one of my favorite parts about what we do is, is stealing a page out of your book is you, you, you give the mic, you give the spotlight, you give your own podium to others and, and gosh, to cut 10,000 of your own words to protect those voices across the globe. I love that the, I'm with, I'm going to be sharing that with my family this weekend. All right. So Bradley, that's going to be tough to top, but what's your, one of your favorite parts of the book?
2: I don't know. I'm still crying about the words that are missing. Um, <laughs>
0: Hey, you got to head start on, tar- on part two though, right?
2: All right, there you go. We're going to start with those words. <laughs> um, I, I would say practiced. that you know, the first thing that I wrote as part of this book was a story around Lego and the history of how Lego started and the tragedy of factory fires and talk about supply chain disruptions. I mean, when your entire factory burns down to the ground three different times, and yet you still now have the single largest, um, most profitable toy company in the world. And, and you think about you know how Lego started. So that's how the book starts. And that that was the first set of words that I started out with. And I think the key to all this is that we end with that as well, the story of Lego and what they're doing now and how they're changing their supply chain and how they're changing the way that they look at manufacturing. And it's about hope in the end. And so it starts with hope and it ends with hope. And that's the message that we want to get across to everybody is that change is in the mix, change is happening now, and everybody could be part of it.
0: I love that, uh, Theo, I want to, maybe as you and I talking about this last time, cause hope came up, I believe it could have been someone else, but on that yes. note, you know, I grew up in South Carolina where our state motto is doom Sparrow, Sparrow. And I'm probably getting the Latin wrong there, but it's while I breathe, I hope, and it has been imprinted in my brain, uh, since being a kid. Cause without hope, gosh, especially during your most challenging days, what do you got? You know? Um, so I, so I love that Bradley, um, you know, this has gotta be, and, and I have, <laughs> I can't say I've rubbed elbows with a ton of authors, but gosh, the sense of purpose that I'm picking up between both of y'all of writing this book is really heavy. I mean, it really is. Uh, and, and I mean, heavy meaning um, full, I guess, you know, it wasn't let's start with business <laughs> and and what folks should know. It's like you had both of y'all really sharing a, a, a very deliberate purpose for really beyond the information you share how you how you write the book and how you're really pulling people together. Is that uh, Theo? Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was a chapter um, in the very beginning that we pulled out to Brad. Remember that our personal stories that we wanted to Mm. share background about us that lead us to the journey where we are that part we had to take out, unfortunately. Um, but it was it was it was very personal. So you if you thought, you know, what you read in the book now is personal that that is like it had adds a ton to it. Um, I talked about my mother, um, where she grew up when um, mm. I was born and raised in Hong Kong. But my parents, they both, um, they were born during war times, right, post war. Mm. And my my mother's family, especially they they were refugees, and they escaped and they settled in Hong Kong, but they lost everything. And so it was a lot about my mother growing up and giving up a lot of things, um, just so that you know, the the rest of her younger siblings could have the life that the family wanted them to have. But in the course of that, it also changed how my mother's career trajectory or she she ended up doing something else that she didn't want to at the same time in parallel my dad was a similar story and the two of them ended up meeting but how their life experiences impacted how I think about people who don't have enough how our attitude um, towards others that are in less fortunate situation and how each and every single one of us have the responsibility to help lift each other up I think I think that part of it and and my mother especially impacted the work that I've been doing and 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 even now right on what what we're doing and why we want to do it so that was the part that cut out Mm. that was really personal and uh, and Brad you had a similar story on Nebraska too
2: that the regeneration or the ability to sort of change your trajectory is is what I think I had written about and you know in my family um, my dad moved from nebraska to california when he was 17 or 18 um, and changed the life that he led and changed the life of what my mother um, led and my father-in-law moved from mexico uh, and came to work in california and changed the trajectory of his family going forward and if we could personally change by decisions that we make then corporations and businesses of all sizes can change when people make decisions that are better for themselves but they change the lives of other people and so i think what we ended up writing about was about that ability for people to improve the lots of others Mm. and how small things at the time add up to be very very big things much like you know this lego piece where a little brick can be turned into almost anything, and and just really quick, the reason why we called the, the the book Beyond Good was actually something that you had alluded to with Jim Collins' book Good Great. We thought that you know, even though it was almost thirty years ago that this book came out, even more now I think forty maybe almost. We talked about the book and what it meant because a lot of what he defined as great was around profitability and was around productivity. And was around efficiency. And we actually think that businesses should be gauged and judged in a different way. And and that's why we said it's not good to great. Let's let's start with good and purpose and go beyond that. And so this is a revolution that hasn't started with us and it won't end with us, but it's happening.
0: I love that prose with a purpose comes to mind. And I also love how it doesn't start with y'all. And it doesn't end with y'all, but both of you via this book and other things you're doing are adding fuel to the fire and bringing more momentum to this movement and the revolution you're talking about. So folks, y'all got me ready to, to run through the wall back behind me. This is really good stuff. Let's make sure. And and also we'll, we'll be tuning. We'll be ready for part two, because it seems like what y'all left out could would be a wonderful core or beginning to uh, uh, the, the follow-on piece. Let's make sure folks know how to get it. So I went to, um, I like to diversify where I get my e-commerce so that it's not all going to one place. And I went to a, a, a different bookseller, got it and still got it in, in the time I needed it, right? Less than a week is, is fine. It's like getting a pair of socks. I don't need a pair of socks same day. I can wait. I can wait a few days. But Theo, where would you suggest folks go get the book?
1: So we actually have a site for it beyondgoodbook.com and it has links to if you're overseas mortar stones or if you're domestic overseas, you can go to the big retailer, but we also love it when folks go visit the local bookstores Um, independent bookstores. That's always our favorite. So bookshop.org and anywhere books are sold.
0: Love it. And uh, in the last time and just getting this scheduled which was a couple months in the making. It seems like the book has really resonated with a bunch of folks, interviews and webinars and keynotes and all kinds of stuff. Is that right, Bradley? We are here to have this
2: message get to as many people as we can. And I think, again, this is not just our message. This is the message of the you know, hundred plus companies and the dozens and dozens of people that we share within this book and we're privileged enough to talk about. So it's a collective message.
0: I love that. It takes a village for sure. All right. So now one of my favorite questions I'm going to ask y'all today is there's so many aspiring, really, let's say, let's call it content publishers. Some are looking to publish that first book and it's like the the moving target. Others are maybe thinking about, you know, they just can't, uh, they want to be a podcaster and they can't just can't get started or they want to be a keynote speaker and they can't get started, but maybe with a focus on, on book writing or really whatever y'all prefer. What's some advice, and Theo, I want to start with you. What's some advice you'd offer those aspiring thought leaders?
1: I think the first thing I'd say is listen. Listen to what others are saying. Listen to what's going on around you. Observe, um, and if you have some ideas, just write it down. It doesn't matter if it's like twenty words, or fifty words, a hundred words, and start building it up.
0: Brick by Lego brick, I love that, Theo. All right, yes, yeah. uh, Bradley. What would your advice be?
2: Um, you know, I, I do love that uh, to listen to others, I think, consume as much information as you can and develop your own voice. I think I, I don't know how many people, you know, in the last 10 or 20 years I've said to, but just start, start to write, start to speak, start to have a voice, start to realize that regardless of where you think you are in an organization, there's always a need to hear you and to hear what your message is. Um, no one should be silent. Mm.
0: Gosh, I love that Uh, y'all. Y'all are quite the one-two, one-two punch. Um, I would just add to that, even if you can't wrap your head all the way around it, that confidence journey. We all have different, different paths there. But know if you're listening to this, know that you have a voice, and it's important, and folks want to hear from you. So even if you just begin to embrace that, that's fine. But uh, just know that and act on it. Okay, so I want to broaden out. So, so really appreciate y'all sharing a lot about the book and a lot about the the movement behind the book and a lot about your approach there let's broaden things out so theo when you when you uh pulse the global business environment right now no shortage of topics covert related non-covid related what's one whether it's a, a news development or an innovation or a leadership example whatever it is what's one thing that's got your attention more than others right now i
1: i think data sovereignty is one thing that that's been on, and is growing, and it's actually worrying in a bit, if you start thinking about how a lot of the technology, regardless of industry, you're in the the underlying technology infrastructure was created and has been created to facilitate information transfer, data transfer, or emerging technology using AI, and what have you, you need a massive amount of data, and a lot of collaboration across borders. Right, that is needed to make it thrive and to make it better. And unfortunately, I think what I worry and what I see is that we're going the opposite direction, where you know countries start setting up walls and say, "Well, you know, my data stays here; it doesn't go out," or you know, one country not playing nicely with the other country, and thereby you know eroding the trust that humans need for businesses to survive. I, I think that is the one trend I've been observing um, that I hope it will go a different way and we need it to, right? Um, but yeah, that that's mm, on my radar. Data
0: sovereignty, man. Uh, we're at to set up a whole series dedicated to that. i got to learn a lot more about that. Um, <laughs> hey, Bradley, what, what about you? What's one thing that you're tracking more than others right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, we, we talk in the book a lot about data and um, you know, how companies are using it and the rights and wrongs of personalization and everything else. And so there's just so much in there. But I will say that one of the things that that I think we'll probably be writing a lot more about in the coming year or two is both embedded business models and uh, the power of platforms. and And just you know to say that that your business model is something that could be easily switched over and taken over by someone else. And we think about the power of, you know, Amazon and large platforms and changing the way that you know things are procured and changing the way that supply chains are changed uh, over the last couple of years. Think about, you know, drop shipments and think about how many small businesses have changed because now almost anybody could start a business that starts to ship a lot of stuff around the world. And man, don't don't ever say that your business can never be disrupted because there's nothing right now that ain't being disrupted. <laughs>
0: You're absolutely right. Every <laughs> I can't think of one sector that doesn't have new ideas or new challengers or innovations that are uh, changing how how things have always been done or how they have have been being done now, or even that short term horizon uh, is, is is evolving fast and furiously. Right? Um, it's tough to keep uh, it's tough to keep tabs on it all. So <laughs> maybe I need to read seven newspapers a week, like Theo, and and we'll make some progress there. Okay. So, we're coming to an end here, and I really appreciate y'all's time. As busy as y'all are, appreciate um, uh, what you've shared here today. Folks, make sure you check out beyondgoodbook.com, get your order, uh, get your copy of the book, and, and then some. But let's make sure folks know how to connect with both of y'all. So, um, you know, whether it's Unconventional Ventures, the podcast, other projects y'all got cooking, Theo, let's start with you. How can folks connect with you?
1: So, I am on social, so I'm on, on Twitter. Uh, PSB underscore DC or in LinkedIn. Um, Theodore allowed do visit our podcast One Vision. We are going to be celebrating 150 episodes soon. And super proud to say that half of our guests so far are women um, and uh, friends from LGBTQ Mm. community, as well as people from communities of color. So that is the one thing that is super important to us as we invite guests to come on our show to talk about different experiences. So do check us out. And we very much appreciate you know, your support, Scott.
0: Oh, you bet. I love it. I love that deliberate aspect of, uh, of what you do and giving the microphone to folks that oftentimes don't have it and amplifying that voice. And you know, I also enjoy your, as I mentioned, your uh, Twitter feed, especially every once in a while, you throw a new Lego um project on there theo and that's really cool so keep that coming all right so bradley same question how can folks connect with you
2: yeah so email bradley at unconventionalventures.com of course our corporate website unconventionalventures.com and twitter probably best
0: place it's at limer l-e-i-m-e-r it's just that easy it is just that easy well this has been a really fun conversation I've, i've got my 18 pages of notes i've got my homework assignment I think Theo said there's going to be a quiz. So I, will, I welcome that hopefully multiple choice. And if I'm confused, I always go with C. That's That was a rule of thumb in college, at least for me. Really appreciate both of y'all's time on, on a more serious note. Gosh, it feels like you are just scratching the surface with the first book, especially with what you, you want to do, what you want to share, and who you want to uplift and the topics you want to cover. So we're fully expecting a uh, a mini series. I'm trying to think of the last elementary or, or the last series of books i'm thinking laura Ingalls wilder had a series of books i think uh, uh not willie wonka there was beverly cleary had a series of books right so many stories to share well theo and bradley i think y'all both have a full series on uh, up your sleeve so uh but just be 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 kind and considerate as i deliver my book report on the first one okay is that is that a deal is that a deal <laughs>
1: That's a deal. Thank you. Thanks so
0: much.
2: (laughs) Always answer C. Always answer
0: C. Oh, what a fun conversation. Theodore Lau and Bradley Lom are co-authors of the book. Again, go check it out. Beyond Good, How Technology is Leading a Purpose Driven Business. And there is dump trucks of purpose right here between these two. Truckloads full. And uh, again, you can check out the book at beyondgoodbook.com. Folks, hopefully you enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Yes, it was not a core supply chain episode, but hey, we got to broaden things out, right? We got to get more whole, uh, well-rounded as supply chain professionals and practitioners. And this episode, I think, serves in that purpose. Hey, check us out at SupplyChainNow.com. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. But most importantly, hey, be like Theo and Bradley. Do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And on that note, we we'll see you right back here next time on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody.